This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Good morning and welcome to Deep South Dining, where the rain never really stops and it has been a lot of late. Carol, how are you? Wet. <laughs> wet and wild. Wet and wild, and everything you know, around me is wet. My garden yeah. is a little moldy. How about yours? Well, yeah. I, 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 if there's such thing as too much rain, we've probably had a little bit too much. But, uh, you know, it's summertime in Mississippi, and we got lots of sun, humidity, yeah. and Hey, and it's making the figs grow, which we can talk about <laughs> later. They're wow. figs. They're everywhere. There are figs, there are cucumbers, there's squash, there's eggplants, there's tomatoes, and I mean, our cup runneth over. Well, I loved the comment last week on Cooking and Coping by one of our really good posters, Mary Woodward, who introduced the fig bunt cake last year, but she mm. had a comment after the tomato show and all the tomato dishes, and she said, tomatoes are the new figs. <laughs> But that was last week. That was last week. Cucumbers, I think, have surpassed. I know it. Well, uh, speaking of eggplant, I saw a dish that you did on Cooking and Coping, our Facebook page, and it looked delicious. It was a bolognese. Is that yes. right? Well, that's what I called it. So here's what oh, it was. Oh, you just made that up. Well, you know how it is. Yeah. Kara had made a bolognese sauce out of ground beef. You know, onions, garlic, using fresh tomatoes from David Patterson's garden. So she'd made this, and we'd had it. It had peppers in it. It was really great. We'd had it the night before. So last night she made, because we have so many tomatoes, she made another tomato sauce to put on a piece of fish that we had for dinner. And it was a, it was a tomato, onion, garlic uh, tapenade, you know, olive salad mixed into it, more a real Mediterranean type uh, topping. So I, I was going to have lunch yesterday, and I got into the refrigerator. I'm thinking I was getting out the bolognese. I got out the fish topping sauce and poured it into a pan to warm up some pasta. Well, when I realized I had used the wrong sauce, I just went and got the bolognese and added it to it. And then at the last oh, minute, oh, that's such a Malcolm thing. <laughs> and then at the last minute, I remembered I had roasted some eggplant, so I got out some of the roasted eggplant and worked it into the sauce. So I had this bolognese with this uh, sort of tapenade <laughs> Spanish tomato sauce <laughs> made for fish. Added uh, the, the the eggplants, and it it was literally as I told Kara. This is the best pasta dish I've eaten all year. Well, it it sounds like it, but I just want to say we are the world. (laughs) (laughs) Many, many elements going on there. It sounds delicious. So let me tell you about the eggplants and how. So, so please tell me about the eggplant. (laughs) My friend David Patterson, who lives out in Madison County, is an incredible gardener, and I am blessed that he shares. So. We have this wonderful routine. We meet on the Natchez Trace, and he brings a, a carload of vegetables, and we have about an hour catch-up. And then when we leave, I have the vegetables in my car. So this last trip, last it, week, 
Yes. Sounds like another kind of deal. Yeah, it does, but it's not. It's it's the new it's the it's new, the drug, new drug, drug deal. deal. <laughs> it's twenty twenty one. Yeah. We we only trade in vegetables now, and and stories. So anyway, so I got tomatoes, cucumbers, eggplant, peppers, okra. I mean, it was it was an abundance. Now the eggplant. Or oh, those long, skinny ones I call Italian eggplants, but I don't think that's really yeah, what they're called. I call those Chinese eggplants, there you the go. skinny ones. The, sk- the skinny, long ones. Yep. So I took those home, and I quartered them lengthwise, cut the ends off. That would off. be some very long eggplants. Yeah, I mean, some of them were this long. Like so a foot long. Foot long eggplants. So anyway, I quartered them and just dusted them with salt, and I use kosher salt. And, and what the reason I do that is so that they will uh, uh, bleed. You know, they will uh, get moist, and, 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 and what I would think of is the bitterness comes out of them. There's a name for that process. I don't know what it is. So you do that for about an hour, and then you, you clean them off because they perspire. They moist. They, they eat. It, because you put the salt on The salt on them. brings it, it out. Yeah. It, then it you leaches wa- the leaches water out. out of them. Then you wash them off. And then in the oven, I roasted them with some herbs and spices and pepper and an interesting assortment of dry uh, rub with olive oil. Okay. Did you put the eggplant in the olive oil like in a bowl before you did it and kind of toss it around? Or did you just drizzle olive oil on the eggplant before you put them in the oven? Both. I drizzled. And then I seasoned. You drizzled and, and dunked. And then I massaged okay. and, and, and turned it okay. all over. It wasn't in a bowl. It was actually in the baking dish. I did okay. it all in, in one dish. Then I put it in the oven at about 325, 400. I think it was 325. And I roasted them until they were done. And I took them out and I chopped those up. I left the skins on them. And I chopped them up and put a portion of those in this bolognese. But there will be many uses for these eggplants now. Salads, all sorts of well, sauces. Well, I'm impressed that, that you just did it and then put them in your uh, refrigerator. Yeah. Because, you know, when I have these ideas, it's the last minute right before dinner. And it delays dinner for a very long time mm. while I try to get creative. But your refrigerator is very creative. Yeah, it's uh, you know, it's it's like a Holiday Inn. It's full of all sorts of, <laughs> of things. Yeah. I mean, open the open door number nine and see what's in there. And and, and my wife Kara mm-hmm. constantly sort of comes to me and says, "Can I throw this out? Are you still using this? Do you have any use for this squash you cooked last week? Are you going to use these roasted peppers? Are these pickles or or what? What is this?" container full. What are you doing with this? And so anyway. She's marshalling the refrigerator. But cucumbers. Let's talk about cucumbers. Let's do it, Malcolm. Um, I had a wonderful gazpacho cucumber soup cold last week that Vivian Neal shared with me. And she actually uh, shared the recipe, which I shared with you this morning. Yes, and that I'm going to share with Java so we can post it on this show. There you go. But it was delicious, and I thought, my goodness, with all of the cucumbers that we have right now, let's talk about gazpacho. Well, that was a cucumber gazpacho, but 
yeah, gazpacho in the purest form of the word is a tomato soup that was you know, first made in the Iberian Peninsula. Hmm. And there are now, you know, many different versions of it all over all over the world. But its main characteristics are that it's a cold vegetable soup. Like pureed. Well, and I have one question for you oh. about gazpacho. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Do you like it smooth or chunky? Smooth. Okay. Well, smooth is actually the way that gazpacho was first done. I huh. think we, we, we've added a lot more chunk to it. And I kind of just, you know, you, you told me about your gazpacho at 6.30 this morning, yeah. and I kind of buzzed around uh, on the Internet, and I found lots of chunkies, lots of medium chunkies. And smooth is really coming back in the U.S., but, but the chunky kind is more of a American thing. Well, my brother Hal, the great soup meister that he was, made a chunky. And then he put a dollop, as I recall, of sour cream in it as he served it. And maybe some chives or something on top or some parsley. I can't remember. Yeah, sounds delicious. So whether you like it smooth or chunky, this is the week to do gazpacho. And this uh, this cucumber gazpacho, I mean, the the color of it in that picture was just beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful. So we're going to put that recipe up. And, And, you know, talking about my eggplant roasting... That would make a wonderful soup. And the squash would make a wonderful soup. In fact, uh, Hayes Thompson, who owns Room Service, he's a great chef here in Jackson, Mississippi. He and my brother Hal are great friends, and they used to trade soup recipes. And Hayes reached out to me last week and said, man, do you have a copy of that yellow squash and sherry soup that Hal used to make? I am jonesing for it. And we started a conversation about that particular soup where he would take fresh summer squash and cook them down and then puree them uh, into a soup uh, with some chicken stock and and right at the end add a little bit of sherry. And it was a wonderful soup, very, very light, very So did you have that recipe in your soup collection? I have not yet put my hoof on it, but I'm looking for it. You know, one of my favorite things about the the book that you did a couple of years ago, the the Helen Mal's book, it was you actually showed the recipe cards. You actually printed right. Hal's recipe cards, and that just adds another layer to it because he was such a wonderful soup guy. Absolutely, and I referred to them as folk art, which is the way I think of handwritten, handwritten recipes as folk art. Beautiful because That's they beautiful. have the they have the um, you know stains and you know tears and uh, you'll see modifications. It might say two teaspoons, and then you can see where the in the margins they wrote you know one teaspoon or <laughs> stuff like that. I love all that. Yeah, you know, and, and it's, it's like a family Bible. It is because it, it speaks to an era too. When you find the recipes. You know, you know, like from the 50s or the 40s. I mean, it gives you a chance to see what was in style then. I, I was looking at an old Delta cookbook the other day, and obviously around 1960, water chestnuts in the can Ooh. must have come. There were water chestnuts everywhere. And I was saying that then was a gourmet food. Right. Exotic. Well, um, I had my first dinner party or luncheon party. Since the pandemic was over, I had uh, five people for lunch on Saturday. It was John's birthday. Happy birthday, birthday week. 
too John. Yeah, it was his his birthday week went really well for him. Uh, but I did the heirloom tomato tart that we talked about last week. Oh, um, the, the, one the one with the cornmeal crust. Excellent. It, you know, it's good to do a recipe twice to start really, uh, really perfecting it. And several people on Cooking and Coping asked for that recipe, and I sent it to Java, so I'll make sure that, that we post it on this week's show. So we're posting two recipes, a gazpacho yeah, recipe. and y'all remind and, me. And your, I thought it was a galette. Well, it, it was a galette. I'm, I'm calling it a tart, but okay. Uh, okay, an heirloom tomato rustic galette. It was not in a tart pan, but it, it could have been. Where the, uh, the crust uh, uh, included cornmeal, and I called it uh, a, a cornbread, uh, I don't know, what do you call the crust part of it? Crust. Okay. Pastry. 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 Cornbread pastry. I had that, and then I had, you know, Chef Susan Spicer in New Orleans has always been one of my culinary heroes, and I did her pickled shrimp, Mm -hmm. which you can do as an appetizer. You have a big bowl of it when you have company, or I did it as a salad. And then I did a shaved asparagus salad, which is a labor of love. Shaving asparagus is not an easy thing to do. Do you? This is. Do you see you this bandaid? Cream? On, what, what is the bandaid for? From shaving, shaving asparagus <laughs> with the vegetable peeler. You got to be careful. Yeah, we but anyway, it was so wonderful to have people around the table, and it turned out the big, big thunderstorm on, on Saturday happened while my guests were at the table. Uh-oh. They arrived at 11.30, and they left at quarter till five. That's a long meal. It was fun. <laughs> That's a birthday party. Yeah, it was. All right, we're going to take a break. We will come back, and when we do, we're going we're gonna to continue talking about figs and tomatoes and cucumbers and summer vegetables. Uh, we'd love to hear from you if you want to join that conversation. We'd, uh, we'd be happy to hear from you. And also, we're going to talk about this cake that I'm eating as we go on break. Carol made a fig cake, and we're going to share that as best we can via the radio. So stay tuned for Deep South Dining. Carol and I will be right back. Welcome back to Deep South Dining. Malcolm White with Carol Puckett. And yes, our theme is rain and all of the products that come to us in this great place called the South and Mississippi because of the rain, the humidity, and the sun. And one of those marvelous gifts are the figs. And I am munching on a piece of fig cake as we speak, live on the radio, made at the hand of one Carol Bucket. Yes, I was in a figurama yesterday, figathon. <laughs> go, go, <laughs> go figure. I figure. Well, you're so cool. Uh, there are figs. They're everywhere. And, you know, you can really only hold them for a couple of days. Very out, ephemeral. Yeah, they, they are. And you can hold them a few days in the refrigerator. But my refrigerator runneth over. Mm. So... I was stirring the pot yesterday. I made uh, fig preserves, and I made fig bunt cake. And it's really good, and I'm having it. And can you share the recipe, or at least tell us well, how you made it? Uh, yeah, it's actually a, a pretty a pretty easy recipe. And I texted one of our listeners, Mary Woodward, who actually started the fig bunt craze, bunt cake craze last year. There were probably a hundred 
big bunt cakes after hers to see if she would share her recipe. But the the one I had was really easy. You take your dry ingredients, you take your flour, your sugar, and you know some spices, clove, nutmeg. Mm. It's like Christmas. It is uh, it's a, a little cake. a little salt, a little baking soda. You mix all your dry ingredients together. Then you know three eggs, a cup of oil. You know, get your batter going. And then stir in mm. a couple of cups of so smushed chopped figs and some pecans. And oh, I it love is the pecans in there. Absolutely delicious. But there are many, many things we can we can do with figs. Man, that's good. And I'm hoping there's some listeners out there who will call us and yeah, tell us what what they're doing with figs. Well, speaking of which, we have a caller from Starkville, Mississippi. Stanley has a comment about figs. Hey, Stanley. Good morning, guys. How y'all doing? We're good. We're figgy here. All right. Well, um, it's not so much what... Well, I, I believe that uh, uh, you pick them off the tree and eat them, or you pick them off the tree, put them in the refrigerator, let them get cold and eat them. I don't do anything else with them. I think that but, you're doing the best thing. I've, <laughs> I've tasted a, a lot of different things friends have made with our figs, and that to me, that's just the one thing to do is to just eat them the way that they got put out. Well, I agree with you. They're quite delightful, either right off the tree or right out of the refrigerator. And, well, and I believe we uh, should eat some of those, but when you have hundreds and hundreds of figs, yeah, you've got was, to uh, get creative because you don't want all of the goodness to go to waste. No, ma'am, you're right. And that was one of the, the second part of what I called about was there's an old, if the fig tree at our place is any indication, there's going to be an overabundance of figs this year. Yep. The birds Our cannot tree, keep up. No, they can't. Uh, uh, normally, we would put netting around it about this time when they start coming ripe. Uh, I've got so many coming ripe that it's just, it's incredible. We've gone from netting to bird calls, hoping yeah. they will come eat some of these figs. But, uh, Stanley, I, I'm, I'm with you. When we had Felder rushing a few weeks ago, I said, oh, Felder, what can I do? The birds always eat all my figs. And so he told me about the netting, and you know, I went and got some netting and put them on my fig trees. And when I go out early in the morning, I used to go really early to try to beat the birds, but now I'm not so, uh, you know... You may find well, that you want yes. to remove the netting. No, but anyway, you can see figs pulled through the netting. I mean, it, it is not it is not stopped the uh, the birds and it's not stopped the deer, but it it you know it certainly has added a lot of protection. Now the last thing is is I'm wondering uh, the old farmer's thing about uh, uh, telling them what the next winter is going to be like is about the abundance of crops. Mm-hmm. And I've got a persimmon tree that uh, uh, basically was uh, having treats for uh, our pig. Oh. And that thing, now it, this is the first time it's ever happened, but that persimmon tree is loaded too. You mean this is the first time the tree's been loaded or the first time in a long time? No, it's the first time it's been loaded like this. Wow. Now, it's only about 16, 17 years old. I mean, it's right. not that old of a tree, but uh, it's got good growth. It's had uh, good conditions to grow and whatnot. 
and it's had persimmons, but this is the first time I've ever seen it loaded like this. Well, do you eat the persimmons as well as, as the pig? No, I leave them for the pig because they're not sweet persimmons. Oh, oh, okay. Well, my <laughs> grandmother had a persimmon tree in her yard, and we ate some of them, but mostly we threw them at each other. Yes, because they yeah. made you pucker. <laughs> <laughs> we we would play army, and we would use the fig. I mean, the persimmons. Figs wouldn't do much so damage. A, a lethal we- weapon. But when the persimmons come in, Malcolm, let's... Let's do something on persimmons this year. Okay. There are a lot of them in Mississippi. Here's what I remember y'all most. Are, y'all aren't going to throw them at each other, are you? <laughs> well, we <laughs> could. I'll tune in for that one. <laughs> Here's what I remember most about the persimmon tree in my grandmother's yard. You know, as I say, we would eat them occasionally, but they would almost they have to get almost to the point where they're ready to drop before they were sweet enough to eat, and they were this brilliant orange colored. And that we would play with them, but also they attracted an enormous amount of bees. This tree was just a swarm with bees when the persimmons came ripe. And man, was that a sight to see. All right, Stanley, thanks a lot for listening, and thanks so very much for calling. You can also call if you're interested. All you have to do is pick up the phone. It's completely toll-free. It's one 672 7464, and we would be delighted to talk to you uh, as well. Uh, we love hearing from our listeners far and wide, sometimes through co- cooking and coping, yeah. sometimes through email, sometimes on the phone. Yeah, and I, I'm really hoping we get some calls today about what people are doing with their figs. Uh, I, I made a few notes just going through cooking and coping and um, yeah, emails, and how about fig-infused vodka? I thought that was pretty creative. That kind of knocks you back. Well, what about the – how do you deal with the uh, texture? I don't know. I don't know, but I was was fascinated. Figs are kind of a grainy thing going on. It it seems like you'd have to ferment them and then, you know, add the the essence. We'll have to get in touch with the cathead people. Now, one of my favorite things is fig pizza, and that's on my menu for this week. Fig pizza. Fig pizza. You, uh-huh. you can even you know, buy a crust in the grocery store. Um, you you put goat cheese, saute some onions, or caramelizing the onions uh-huh. is really good. Put it on the on the crust um, with a little pancetta or say, bacon. Where's your salt? Yeah, you have to have have <clears throat> you have to have the salt and goat cheese, and then sprinkle mm. some mozzarella on the top. And the really good ones I've had have a sprinkle of fresh arugula after you Ooh. get it out of out of the oven and that's kind of hard for us to find yeah. the yeah it it adds that little bitter taste but a, a fig pizza is delicious didn't we see a, a lot of arugula out at uh our tour uh at the farm at uh, Lee Bailey's, at Lee Bailey's place, salad days. I salad think we days. did. I thought she had a bunch of arugula. I think she did. Anyway. We, yeah, need to need know. to find out. Okay, we got uh, a few callers on the phone here. We're going to go uh first to Alan, he's calling from Theodore, Alabama. I'm really familiar with Theodore, Alabama. Been through a lot of times. He's got some tips on figs. Hey, Alan, thanks for calling. Hey, how's everything going? Good morning. Very well. Thank you, sir. All right. We're here in the rain central of the Gulf Coast, and I'm letting you know that we, my wife's having a bumper crop of the figs. <laughs> and the on our oldest, most mature tree, the, all the figs, 
course, with regular insects, we have an abundance this year, which we haven't in the past, of the regular honeybees as mm-hmm. well as the wasp. And it is just inundated with figs and the insects. But the other younger trees are producing extremely well and big, beautiful ripe figs. They were just delicious. And so I wanted to give you a couple of hints because we took at least one, had one of the the main biggest tree we brought from Fowl River when we moved out there. And I planted it, and it never grew, never grew, never grew. So I finally busted out a bag of lime on this little three-feet-tall fig tree. Mm. And now it's about, of course, nine. This is many years later. <laughs> but but the just, just the lime alone provided enough... Uh, Enough incentive for the chlorophyll to expand and grow, but you can't hurt the fig tree by dumping a half a sack to each fig tree, or even a whole sack if you've got, and then some uh, triple thirteen. You know, once they get some maturity, but before then, the miracle grow. But the lime will absolutely exponentially increase the growth. Great. And so, then, uh, of course, we fixed up some friends with uh, my fi- fin- fi- my wife fixed up the friends with some figs so they could make preserves. My wife makes preserves. But a good suggestion: uh, take the uh, your cinnamon fig preserves and everything, and dump them into uh, you take your bunt pan and a yellow cake mix and uh, or dark cake mix, but usually yellow cake mix, and dump an entire a pint of mm-hmm. the cinnamon figs in there and then let the cake cook normally. It's going to take a little while, maybe a little bit longer than normal. You have to set your oven a little bit uh, lower, and it will make a good cake. And then we've got preserves uh, still from years ago that we can't <laughs> eat enough of them for what we've got. But everybody's got that. Yeah. But if you take it, at least throw them in the refrigerator and enjoy a bunch of the figs with your morning uh, yogurt and everything, and it's just something that's our southern delicacy down here is the figs. That's I don't know true. that they've got them up north, whatever. Anyway, I appreciate your broadcast. I thought I'd throw that out there, and uh, happy fig picking. Thank you so much, Thank Alan. you so much. We appreciate you listening, and particularly we appreciate the call from Theodore, Alabama. That's Alan with tips about figs and the lime. Do not fear the lime. <laughs> Stick it to them. All right, we got another caller from Oxford, Mississippi. Joe's calling about fig vodka, Carol. How are y'all? We're good. We're so happy you called. Yes, ma'am. Um, I've worked in restaurants and bars for a long time, and I've made fig vodka. The secret is to use dried figs. Don't use fresh figs. And you can dry figs easily with a dehydrator, or if you don't have one, you can just wash them, put them on a lined baking rack, and then put them in the oven at the lowest setting, crack the door with a pair of tongs, and then just let it go overnight, uh, and they'll dry out if you don't have a dehydrator. But when you use dried figs to make fig vodka, uh, let them just cut them in half or even quarters if they're really big, and then you uh, soak them in the vodka for like a week, and then when you go to strain it out, put a coffee filter in a fine mesh strainer, put the, like pour it through that, and then let the figs sit in there into a bigger bowl and then set something with some kind of weight on top of the figs to press out all that goodness and all that flavor. And that's a really good way to, uh, you know, yeah. vodka and get all that flavor out well, of it. Do you then make a, a vodka drink 
uh, with the fig vodka, or do you just drink the fig vodka over ice? Oh, I wouldn't drink it over ice because vodka, no matter if it's flavored or not, it's still going to be pretty harsh. Mm-hmm. So I'd recommend a really good one is making like a white Russian with it. Gotcha. It gives it a little extra sweetness. It's pretty nice. Um, you can make a martini with it where you add some kind of like pineapple juice or maybe even some raspberry liqueur. Mm-hmm. It goes really well together. So, or maybe even make a fig Cosmo, which is another good. Oh, that sounds for it. These are great too. Uh, we we yeah. really appreciate you calling because you know that's some pretty specific directions. It makes a lot of sense, and mm. I've been wondering about drying figs. Right, I and mean, you can do that with any kind of fruit, really. But figs have so much moisture that after about twelve hours, you're still going to have a little spring to them. They're not going to be completely hard dry. Like if you were to dry like lemon wheels or orange wheels or something like that Mm -hmm. but you can also season them too if you want to add a little ancho chili powder or even a little salt you know intensify those flavors a little sweet smoky heat with the figs it'd be really good so that's uh, true for people with a lot of fig jam or preserves they have left over you can make a caramelized onion jam and mix it together and put it on a burger all right we need to get Joe on. We regularly. need to get Joe on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> so don't Thank drift too much. far, Joe. We're on every Monday. We'd love to hear more from you. This has been I'll very helpful. This is awesome, man. Thank Thanks you. for calling, Joe from Oxford, talking about fig vodka. And I actually found, um, hey guys, this is Java in the booth. I've actually found a fig vodka um, that they sell, Figenza fig vodka and they had a great they had a great recipe for um i don't know if you know about like the moscow mule um vodka lime juice ginger beer uh but it's a mediterranean mule with this uh fig vodka lime juice and uh ginger beer you heard it first, right? A new here. product in Mississippi with the abundance of figs. And again, we need to talk to the cathead cat vodka people. About yes, we do. A fig flavored vodka. Now that's an idea. So anyway, all right, we've got another caller on the line from Meridian. We have Michelle calling, and she's going to tell us what she does with figs. Hello, Michelle. Good morning. Good morning. Well, I really don't do anything except pick them. Uh, <laughs> Because I can't eat the figs, and, uh, you know, I leave the top half of the tree. It's on an incline, so a ladder doesn't work unless you want to climb in the tree. So uh, last year I picked between 500 and 800 figs off the tree. Wow. And what I do is I have a lot of friends who don't have trees, so all I basically do is save a few for my husband to eat, and I give every other fig away, and sometimes... Uh, they'll make a preserve or something and give me back a couple jars. So I don't have to do any of the work except pick them. So, so, so you're a fig fairy. Uh, I guess you could say so. <laughs> now, why do you not eat them yourself? You say you'll eat um, them in preserves, but you won't eat them fresh? Well, no, I don't even eat the preserves. That's for my husband as well. Um, I have diverticulitis, and uh. sometimes I'm just very careful of seeds. Uh, right. Some people say they don't hurt. Some people do. Right. So I just don't take a chance. You know, it's just not worth it. Uh, of course, you can strain the seeds out if you want to. But uh, anyway, it's just a good thing. And I have some elderly people, of course, who couldn't go pick anyway. And their childhood memories are of figs. So all you do is pick them, bag them up, and take them to them. So uh, it's just a good thing to do. And I leave the top half for the birds. 
Well, that's awfully yeah, generous that's, of you. That, that's a, a great reminder to everybody to be fig friends. That's right. And, and Michelle, has it been a banner year for you and your tree? Uh, so far, I picked, it just started turning. I picked over 100 figs in the last couple of days. Um, so, and they're just an abundant. I mean, probably more than last year. The last about five years, I've had great success with the fig tree. I do nothing to it. No lime. No lime, no nothing. It's on an incline, and the water from rain runs down, but then it continues so it doesn't soak in rain. So I guess it's just the perfect climate for it. Well, thank you so much, uh, Michelle, for calling from the Queen City Meridian. I want to make a comment about appetizers because that's a great way to use figs. And this weekend when I had my luncheon, our friend David Trigiani was in the house. And, of course, he loves all things Italian. And uh, John had requested prosciutto and figs. So we did a platter of figs, and we cut every other fig, made a little cross in the top, and put a just tiny bit of blue cheese and drizzled just a tiny bit of honey. You you could just pick it up and eat it. And then every other fig we wrapped in just a small piece of prosciutto. And it was a wonderful Mm. appetizer. We had a plate of figs. I said, how in the world? What am I going to do with the leftovers? There were none. No leftovers. And uh, in a fig crostini, too, is beautiful. Well, you know, you you take the uh, hard crouton and... Spread a little goat cheese, chop up some figs, and that's it. Or wow. you got drizzle a little honey. But you now, know, what was the main course for this luncheonette that Java well, and I did not get invited to? <laughs> well, I tell you, it was the shrimp salad. <laughs> but you'll be invited. I mean, you know, you'll we be can, invited you, next time. You know, it's good to live vicariously through Carol. Yeah, well, her, her of course, life. yes. But in thinking about figs, I am thinking about something that you said, and of course. It's all about you. <laughs> and I'm remembering um, a, li- a, a little film that you did a few years ago about figs. But you you started off the film about the two ladies said they are preserving tradition. Right. And you were talking about they were preserving figs. But at the same time, they are preserving tradition and this is like a little four-minute film. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, I attended a barefoot workshop in Clarksdale uh, many years ago, and this was my, uh, my, my class project. Well, I think you must have gotten a good grade. It, it was a photography workshop, and you, you, you would pick a subject and produce a short film, and mine was entitled Cosetta and Bertha, and it's these two sisters who live in Clarksdale. And they were making fig preserves at the moment that I was introduced to them. And so the content of my little short film was these two sisters' relationship and this thing that they did every year together, which was make fig preserves. And you can see it by going on to, to YouTube and just putting in Cosetta and Bertha or Barefoot Films. Yeah, I found it. You know, I, I googled around this morning. I mean, on YouTube, looking for it, and Cosetta is spelled C O Z E T T A. Just a little four-minute short, and wow, what a fun project! Very fun. I I took two barefoot workshops, one for filmmaking, and I did a short film 
uh, on the Rest Haven in Clarksdale, and, and then this was my still photography workshop, the, the Cosetta and Bertha. So thanks. Thanks for dialing it up. It's about figs as well. All right, Java, should we take a break or go to the, ra- to the phone? All right, we're going to take a short break, and uh, we'll come back and continue talking about all of the above. Today we've really focused on figs and cucumbers and eggplants and squash and tomatoes and what we do with that abundance this time of year in the great state of Mississippi. We'll take a short break. Carol and I will come back. If you have questions, comments, a recipe to share, cooking tidbits, tips, and any other information you wish to share with our listeners, it's 1-877-672-7464, and we'll be right back. Hey, hey, good morning. Welcome to Deep South Dining. Malcolm White here with my skillet buddy, Carol Puckett. Hello, Carol. Hey, Mal. How's everything in your skillet? It's abundant. Good, good. I just got a text from my buddy, Danny Anderson, and he said, I love listening to your radio show. My question is, do you grow your own cucumbers? And my answer is no. Last year, I grew some cucumbers, but they take up too much room. Like, like, uh, well, you're an urban gardener. That's I only why. have a small garden space. Yeah. I can grow things uh, that grow toward the sky, but not so much that spread out. I, I have some, a pumpkin plant that's just about taking over my whole backyard. So you don't have to mow. Cucum- <laughs> cucumbers, <laughs> they spread out and go everywhere. So I get those from, from David Patterson or Susan Lyles, a friend of mine I used to work with at the Arts Commission, shared some cucumbers with me recently. So, no, Danny, I don't grow them, <clears throat> at least not this year, but. Thanks for asking. But you know what? One of the things that David Patterson did bring me was some okra. And this, I think, was his first okra of the year. So I cleaned it up and uh, chopped it up, and I got it in a little baggie. I'm ready to either make a gumbo or a soup or fry it. And uh, Now, we had some comments on cooking and coping about okra. We did. There was a lot of okra going on. Uh, one, of, one of my favorite comments was from Bonner McCollum. And I don't know where Bonner McCollum lives, but uh, she drizzles baby okra pods with olive oil and then sprinkles them with Cavender's Greek seasoning and then grills them for an appetizer. That's terrific. I love, by the way, I love, Kara and I both love Cavender's Greek seasoning. I put um, it on those eggplants that I roasted that I was speaking of earlier. I love that stuff. I don't know what's in it, but. Yeah, and then a couple of things from Bob LaCour. Yeah, Bob uh, is a, a single person in Meridian, and he does the greatest meals for one person. He, you know, that's a, a an act of self-care, yes. cooking for one, but he did a, a beautiful meal, and he had fried whole okra pods. He had like two Two fried okra pods on his... Just his, as a, just, a garnish. Just as a garnish. They were beautiful. But he still had okra left over, and the next morning he posted a French omelet oh, no. with sauteed... I was afraid you were going to say put okra in his he omelet. He did. He had sauteed onion and okra, and it, it looked delicious. Don't be afraid to go there. Uh, I, okra and an omelet, to me, sounds a little wonky, but uh, I think I could, could certainly give it a spin. Yeah, um, and also on cooking and coping, I I really thought of you when I read this, and so I printed it out just so I could read, because you are such a sauce man. Sauce. 
come. I in. never met a condiment I didn't you like. You never met a condiment you didn't like. You love remoulade sauce. You love, love comeback dressing. Love it. Love this it. was love one it. of our listeners. I believe uh, Tina Morgan is from somewhere north northeast Mississippi. Not sure. Where are you from, Tina? Yeah, Tina. But she says, last Friday, friends and I made a quick trip to Atlanta for the Van Gogh Immersive Experience Exhibit. Friday night, we went to a restaurant near the hotel. I ordered fish and chips. According to the menu description for fish and chips, a remoulade sauce was included. But when it was set in front of me, it was a small dish of tartar sauce. I nicely asked the server if they had remoulade sauce. He said they did and went to fetch it. He returned, gestured to the tartar sauce and said, that's the remoulade sauce. Mm. And she scoffed. <laughs> really? And he said, uh, yes. And she said, well, okay, I disagree with you. And she, and he, he looked at her and said, I'm so sorry, but the owners are from the north. <laughs> <laughs> and she ended with, with bless their hearts. <laughs> Come on, folks. Ble- that's really a great time to use bless your heart, bless their hearts. No doubt. There is tartar sauce, but it is not aromalot sauce. We know that. All right, we got a caller, Kathleen from Osaka, is going to talk about what to do with all those tomatoes that you've got. Hello, Kathleen. What you got? Well, I, I got a good quick one. Uh, this is easy, and it, you can freeze it, and you can make as little or as much as you want. No, no big deal. We call this but, an easy freezy. An easy freezy tomato dough. <laughs> uh, one can, any size you want to go with, of black beans. Rinse, put in the pot. One can, whole kernel corn. Rinse, put in the pot. And for tomatoes, you use the same amount of tomatoes. Now, you uh, you can use it fresh, or you can kind of like what they do is you drop them in boiling water, you take the skins off, right. which I, I prefer, and just chop, put them in. Now, you can use any kind of meat, like beef, uh, pork, chicken. I saute it, add just a little bit of kitchen bouquet, Put in pot. Therefore, you're on your own. You could add onions. You can add celery. You can add peppers, whatever you want. When you cook it, it doesn't take long because most everything is already cooked. And when you freeze it, make sure you freeze equal amounts of the liquid uh, that you put in. Oh, you can use, I use beef uh, broth if you want, uh, just to make it a little thinner if you want, or just don't add it. It's not a big deal, but it's heart healthy. And you use a lot of your fresh tomatoes, and you can freeze it. And let me tell you, on all these rainy days, mm. I have taken some of that down. You can eat it over rice, or you can eat it over pasta or cornbread. And um, for anybody out there that's diabetic, this is an excellent dish for you. It really is. Great. So and I'll what do you call this? Uh, I'm going to leave that up to you. <laughs> I've already we, called one of my creations a tomato dump. I don't know how attractive okay. that is. <laughs> we'll call this the Osaka Tomato Concoction. <laughs> for lack of a better thanks, word. Thanks, Mel. Thanks, thanks for listening. Okay. And well, always, thanks for calling. If you had not been to Osaka lately, you need to give it a try. Now, one of the ingredients, Carol... Wait, that Malcolm, Catholic. that's where Britney Spears is from, Osaka. And has she been in the news lately? 
Yeah, there's a whole free Britney m- movement. <laughs> so, so I watch cable news. Okay. Some people do, some people don't. But I have really gotten a chuckle lately, and I and I'm I'm not trying to make fun of Britney Spears. She's had a rough run here, but they'll go from a COVID report or a, a war. You know, in Afghanistan, right into the latest on Brittany. And it, I just sort of scratch my head and I think, my goodness, this is big news. But anyway, um, she, uh, Kathleen mentioned an ingredient in this concoction that she shared. And it's, it's something I hadn't heard in a long time. This used to be very common and you just don't hear much about it anymore. Yeah, it, it, Kitchen Bouquet, it's a, a browning, uh, I don't know if you call it a sauce, I'm going to call it an agent. Browning agent. A browning and seasoning agent. It's a, a concentrate made of vegetable stock, spices, and herbs. So, yeah, I hadn't heard of kitchen bouquet in a while. You know, I, it used to be in every kitchen. Yeah. Uh, like, in every like recipe. It's like what we're, we're talking sorry. about, about things that go through mm-hmm. phases and trends. And What do you think's in kitchen bouquet? Well, you tell me. To look it up and see, it scares me that it's made by the Clorox company. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, that is peculiar. Yeah. uh, It is what it is, right? It it is what it is, but it it says mixed vegetable stock, spices, and and herbs. So it's a bunch of dried vegetables. Yeah. Uh Yeah. It's, it's It's a really flavorful concoction. But it also, as I recall, adds color. Which was one reason that I remember people we used it, it like to brown uh, like a roast <clears throat> or a tenderloin. Uh-huh. You had to put some kitchen bouquet on it. Right. Well, I great. think we're dating ourselves. This is a probably a sixties and seventies thing. Because really? wow. I've never heard of kitchen bouquet. Well, you're a mere <laughs> child. Looking, you're I'm, only a child. <laughs> I'm looking at it, and um, yeah, this is I've never heard of that. Java, what did you do with that sack of vegetables that we brought up here last week? I want to know what your wife rather. Well, yeah, that's what, that's what I had to say. I gave it. I gave it to my wife, but she does a lot of uh, a lot of roasting, and um, we actually got into the eggplant. Uh, you know, that's one of my, I guess, things that I can kind of say I know how to make uh, eggplant parmesan. Yeah. So that's yeah. always a, a something something good. And I appreciate it. You kind of dumped it. You told me this morning <laughs> you, you gave me some last week and if you wanted to you could have turned right back around and gave me some more <laughs> today. Now have you ever worked with those Chinese or Italian not the, No, not the long ones. It's always the, you know, the, I guess the ones at the store the big, mm-hmm. the, the big the, ones. Big ones. Yeah. Well these reportedly are a little more sweeter. Uh, yeah. But they were easier to um, slice off because they were already long. So you just, you know, just kind of go go across them long ways. And, Carol, what is your uh, favorite eggplant preparation? Well, um, I like a hot Chinese eggplant, oriental eggplant recipe. There's several restaurants around here. I mean, not, you know, not everybody does it. But it's a spicy kind of braised yeah. eggplant, very, mm-hmm. very spicy. Like a side dish. Yeah, and I used to grow those Chinese eggplant when I had more space. Uh, well, now now I have many acres, but <laughs> when I lived at Eastbrook condominiums, to, just to be able to make that dish. Hey, and now they're prolific. Speaking of Indian food, did you hear the rumor that an Indian restaurant is going into the old E-Light location on Capitol Street? 
I did not, but that would be a great thing for downtown people and for all of us. Yeah, that was uh, reported on Facebook, so it must be true. Yeah, uh, and I've I've been a big fan of our other uh, Spice Avenue for quite a while, and I know there are a few others, but that would be a real... A real asset. It to seems downtown. to me like they had an eggplant dish that you and I used to eat at the. Uh, Spice well, Avenue. it's it's called. Uh, we did, we did indeed. It's called Bygan Bertha. Now I'm probably slaughtering the name, but it's like a mashed eggplant, you know, warm di- vegetable yeah, dish. Right. It is delicious. I get it. I get it all the time. I pick it up for takeout. It's delicious. Right. Spice Avenue on the West Frontage Road between Briarwood and Northside Drive in Jackson. Great hey, food. We were before we went on the air. We were talking about um, the seafood truck. Yes, and that you're, you you had a friend, one of our co- cooking and coping regulars, who yeah. made a, a pilgrimage through town and stopped to see. I'm so glad you brought that up, because what a great way to close out the show. Um, Tim Pierce, who is one of our great cooks on Cooking and Coping, lots of people follow him, uh, wrote on on the site that the best part of his trip to New Orleans was stopping at Duke and Seafood on the way back. He said, Carol and Malcolm have talked about it so many times and honestly honestly can't can't ever say enough. Getting to talk seafood with John Lester is worth the drive from Memphis. Absolutely. And speaking of John, we should have him on again. It's yes, a, we should. Been a minute, as we say. should. Carol, it's been a blast. It has been a blast. As always. It's lovely visiting with you every Monday morning and yeah. sharing our hour with our friends. Yeah, it makes you want to cook all week. Let's do it. Let's do it. Deep South Dining is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting's Think Radio. We are funded by generous contributions from folks just like you. Thanks. Our show was produced by Java Chapman. For my co-host, Carol Puckett, I'm Malcolm White. Please stay tuned now for Now You're Talking with Marshall Ramsey, followed by Southern Remedy at 11. And please join Carol and I every Monday morning right here at 9 a.m. for Deep South Dining Heard only on MPB Think Radio. This forecast is underwritten by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Mississippi. Smarter, better health care. More at bcbsms.com. Decent chance of showers and thunderstorms, not only for today, but also tonight and tomorrow. Some of these storms could be intense and produce some very heavy rain. Tupelo today, we're looking at showers. A chance of thunderstorms are high this afternoon into the low 80s. Chance of showers with a slight chance of thunder tonight and overnight low in the low 70s. Vicksburg, cloudy skies. A chance of showers and thunderstorms today are high this afternoon near 85. Occasional showers, a few storms and low 70s tonight. And in Hattiesburg, showers, a chance of thunderstorms today are high this afternoon, 85. Showers and storms, low 70s tonight. I'm meteorologist Sally Russell. This is Think Radio.